Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. We're coming to you from the Jodo Shinju Center in Berkeley, California. podcast for July 11th, 2014, and today we continue our discussion of the combination of Shin and Zen practice. So things are heating up here at the Dharma Realm. Um, We've been addressing a question uh, sent to us by a listener about combining Jodo Shinshu and Soto Zen practice and asking about, you know, if one can chant um, some of the other non-Shinshu sutras and uh, questions of that sort. And it, it Part of the issue to me comes from uh, this kind of Buddhism that develops in Japan of this exclusive practice schools. And so, Jodoshu, Jodoshinshu, um, Dogen, and Soto Zen, Nichiden, they all come out of Tendai. Right? They're all Tendai monks. And Tendai is, what, we, for lack of a better term, maybe eclectic Buddhist school that has all different kinds of practices, doctrines. I would say um, a normal Buddhist school. Right. It's very much um, <laughs> it, kind in its, of... In its pre-Kamakura context, I would imagine that Tendai is much more normative for East Asian Buddhism than uh, latter forms of Japanese Buddhism right, that are right. much more sectarian in nature. Right. So, And so you have... To, um, to call Zen. it eclectic to me implies that that's Right. Not, it's, it's kind of the... Um, it's not appropriate, but it's totally, you know... That was the way things were, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. It was totally, and 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 still are in a lot of East Asian contexts. You know, like you know, if you go to to, to most Chinese Buddhist communities, they're doing Chan meditation right. and Nianfo. Right, right. And you know that wouldn't anyway. So, right. So in, I'm just mad you cut me off last yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like in Tendai, right? Calling it eclectic is maybe coming from a Kamakura perspective, a new Karmakura new Buddhism perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, where single practice is the norm, right. and so right, right. Tendai looks different and right. eclectic, yeah. right? But but I, I think it's safe to say that within Tendai, they're doing all different kinds of stuff, and there are different sections, and you may have different areas that emphasize different yeah specialties of Pure Land or Esoteric Buddhism or whatever. Um, but it's all within Tendai. Mm-hmm. But then you get these people leaving the mountain and going off and saying only Pure Land, only. Amida Buddha, only Nembutsu, for one, or only, zazen. only sitting, right? <clears throat> or yeah, zazen, or only the Daimoku and the Lotus Sutra, um, and so so this kind of yeah, that is kind of weird in general <laughs> Buddhist history, the long yeah. view of history, <laughs> yeah, um, very kind of distinctive to um, Japan, huh? Um, and so as Shinshu, we're kind of well, I was going to say saddled with that. Um, We've, we are the inheritors of that tradition. Yeah, yeah, where, where there's this exclusivity, right? And so that speaks to this question, mm-hmm. right? And we mentioned before the idea of um, selecting and rejecting, right? So that you end up rejecting other paths and um, selecting this one of Amida Buddha and the Three Pure Land Sutras and Nembutsu, everything else, either rejected or reinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. See, but I also wonder to what extent we, you know, to, to assume that Tendai is eclectic through 
a post-Kamakura lens, right, as sort of anachronistic. But I also wonder how anachronistic we are in assuming that Shinran was exclusivistic. Mm. Um, and, you know, this is a whole other debate, right? But to the extent, you know, to what extent are the, the sort of founders of these exclusive practices, you know, in their day-to-day practice, how exclusive were they? I think arguably Nichiren seems to be the most exclusivistic, right? Like a lot of Nichiren's writings are, you know, this way or no way kind of thing, but mm-hmm. I'm grossly oversimplifying. Uh, and, and if I offend any Nichiren people out there, oops, um, <laughs> I don't intend to. Um, <clears throat> uh, but uh, but I but you know I wonder because there's I think there's uh, you know continual research being done on this time period, and it's I, I don't know. I think I I want there to be an open question about how exclusive these practices are, first of all. And secondly, there's also the sort of the other issue of, well, you know, let's assume for the sake of argument that these, the founders of these traditions really were exclusivistic. Um, do we, 700 years later, have to do everything exactly like we think that they did? Or are, is there still the possibility for the tradition to evolve um, and be reimagined or reinterpreted? Mm. And that's the sort of fundamental tension, right, in, in any religious tradition between uh, maintaining tradition and adapting in current circumstances, right, mm-hmm. tradition versus change. So that's that's another mm-hmm. implication of this question. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right. I mean, Shinju is interesting because we have a kind of track record of after Shinran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where um, Kakunyo, uh, Shinran's great-grandson, is, seems very exclusive. Right. Right? And then Kakunyo's son, Zonkaku, is very much more liberal, much more willing to work with like Shinto, for example, mm-hmm. um, and is much more open and less um, restrictive, right? who is then not disowned so much, but, but is kind of left out of the picture in, institutionally so that Kakunyo's vision becomes kind of the vision of the Honganji. Mm-hmm. Right, so so th- that is an issue that's openly out there in the tradition. Yeah, um, and then uh, then exclusivity exclusivity seems to get uh, politicized almost. Right, by the time you get to Tokugawa, it's like sectarianism becomes uh, managed, legalized in, in some sense. Right, the government is actually very much being supported or supporting specific institutions, and then the sectarianism gets even more. I think rigidly um, defined, um, which is wh- which is where I, I always want to pause and say, okay, so if we make the mistake of reading uh, pre-Kamakura Buddhism through a Kamakura lens, are we making the mistake of reading Kamakura through a Tokugawa lens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. History is, I think, a lot messier mm-hmm. <laughs> than we usually think it is. But again, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Meditate. <laughs> <laughs> One of, the the Heart Sutra. <laughs> one of the interesting things about the Tokugawa period is like, yeah, there's all these like kind of conflicting things happening, right? Where yeah. they 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 um, outlaw debate, right, right, right? Because one of the problems is all the Buddhists well, fighting right each here. other. Yeah, they're fighting each right? other, just like you um, and me, man. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just upholding this great tradition, um, but at the same time, they very much want all these different schools because they don't want a unified yeah, exactly. Buddhist right. group against the government, right? Right, so they, you know, give everyone their own land and let them all be their own separate little things. Don't let them talk to each other. Yeah. So we keep them separate. Right, right. So it's really interesting. Yeah, these different kind of conflicting um, streams going on uh, during that time, and that again, that's also part of the background 
that we're in today, right. of, of what we're doing today. Um, and, you know, in the 21st century with Internet and everything, this global community, it's like we have access to so many different religions, so many different kinds of Buddhism. Uh, so there's even that, you know, when you're in a village and your village is associated with a certain temple and a certain school. Everyone's doing that. Yeah. And you don't have really have access to the, the, the um, opportunity to find out about other ones or study other ones. And if you do go out and study another one, you might even get in trouble. I remember when I was at Ryukoku. No, not at Ryukoku. I was visiting Japan and talking to someone. And he was a grad student. And something for his paper, he was like going to this Zen temple or something and talking to them. And finally his advisor said, stop. Hmm. I told him, stop going there. This is not an appropriate topic. Um, <laughs> so, so that's still that kind of... Japan is still um, more traditional, I think. Um, even lineage of your specific teacher within the lineage is important sure, within the school. Yeah. Right, um, so so that still exists. So I think part of the question of is it okay to do these different things? It's like, well, it depends on who you tell. <laughs> right? Yeah, um, I think it totally depends on the context. Right? Yeah. I, you know, in the last episode, you mentioned how no, to the best of your knowledge, no other, no Japanese school doesn't chant the Heart Sutra except for Jodoshin Shu. That was a massive sentence, That's a but <laughs> quadruple negative in there or something. <laughs> Shinshu's the only one that doesn't chant the heart. Thank you. Um, and as you were saying that, I was thinking about um, what's going what, about uh, the Chicago Buddhist Temple, which is not BCA, um, but uh, you know, f- folks who who helped establish that temple, and they're um, sort of in that lineage, uh, very much blended Zen and Shin practices. And I was just reading um, Reverend Padanikai's blog a few weeks ago, or could be three, a few months ago. I have lost all sense of time. Oh, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> um, anyway, she was talking about doing a, um, finding these old this old copy of the Heart Sutra um, that was all annotated and, and had notes in it from um, her teacher. So uh, you, you know, so there is a context in which um, apparently that's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the question of whether or not it's okay to blend practices from two different traditions, I think, very much depends, like you said, on not only who you tell, but where you are, like what community you're a part of. Um, it would be, you know, here in the the San Francisco Bay Area, I don't think people would get like mad at you, but at the same time, it's not like you'd find people doing it, mm-hmm. right? So it would be hard to find somebody who knows how to chant the Heart Sutra. Mm-hmm. Even if you wanted to, right? So that was, so that's a different a different response, right? You know, I don't know. You could start doing it and have a little heart sutra class well, when they when down in said, Oakland. I'd I'd come. <laughs> when you said annotations, uh-huh. were they chanting annotations or study annotations? I don't like remember. Intellectual? Because um, we looked at it in my class mm-hmm. last year. Because one of my it was the chanting class for BCA, uh-huh. um, but one of the students was Japanese. Um, from Japan, and she was Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of interesting having her in the class, but, but it was good for her because she was learning about the traditions of her native country sure. that she had no idea about because she, even though she grew up Buddhist, she grew up nominally Buddhist, mm-hmm. right? And her faith commitment, her, her spirituality was awakened by Christianity. Mm-hmm. So, so I thought, yeah, let's do the Heart Sutra because I've never really dug into it. And I had a couple of um, uh, chanting versions of the Heart Sutra at my office that a friend had given me just that they'd picked up at temples in Japan or something right. without knowing even really what they were. Um, so yeah, we looked at it. It was great fun for me to, to study the Heart Sutra 
Hmm. And I've, you know, I think we've talked about before. I'm interested in Abhidharma and early development of Mahayana, and Mahayana develops in um, opposition to Abhidharma in a way. And to me, Heart Sutra is all about that. Oh yeah, it's about yeah, negating yeah. all the dharmas. It's about yeah. negating everything, <laughs> right? Um, <coughs> so it was great fun for me to read it, and we chanted it. <gasps> You're a heretic. Yeah, we actually chanted. I didn't go so far as to bring my mokugyo that I have in my office. And you took that um, oath when you got ordained, dude. Right. But we weren't performing a ritual. All right, all right. right? There like you go, was, splitting hairs like, again. Yeah, see, the context was just reading something out loud mm-hmm. and seeing what it would sound like to mm-hmm. chant it, just trying it. Right? And we didn't have an altar. We weren't doing it in front of a Buddha image. Sure, we sure. weren't, right? So, so the chanting of sutras is interesting too, where, you know, there is often like, it's not just chanting. There's a ritual context to the whole thing. And you could even set up the whole ritual and do it. And if there's nobody there, maybe it's not really a ritual. You know, like when we do. Um, oh, that's, that's a good question. Right? Yeah. We, we practice all the time. We're in the kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center. This room was specifically set up. It's not a hondo, it's not a temple. Right? But it is a hall with a naijin, with an altar, with a Buddha image, um, all um, official Nishi Honganji certified. Right? And yet it's... Are there little like, stamps on them? Um, there's probably certification <laughs> paperwork for the image with stamps on it. Monshu approved. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I found the one for Lodi, the, right. the certification papers for the Lodi image. Um, actually, the scrolls will have the, the stamps yeah, and yeah. everything, right? Um, the books will have the stamps. But... Um, it's for practice, right? I mean, we do some services here, but for the main, this was made so that BCA ministers could be trained here. Um, and so when we do the ritual for practice, is it a ritual or not? For us, it doesn't matter so much because, again, we're not doing it to try for some ritual efficacy. So it's not like by not performing it properly, something went wrong. And yet, we could, I think we could still ask yeah, questions of like, that's a really, is it a ritual I mean, or not? You know, take, taking, just taking all the shin... Uh, doctrine and orthodoxy out of it. I mean, just the question of whether or not practicing a ritual is itself a ritual. You know, it's just an interesting <laughs> sort of mind game, right? Yes, we're um, geeks. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> That's going to be my next book. My next book. <laughs> um, meditation is a... So, so part of that, I think, is this question of meditation and um, I do meditation at my temple in a, to a limited extent. Um, Heretic! <laughs> yeah. But I'm not trying to do zazen. I'm not trying to do soto zen meditation. To me... Why not? <laughs> because that's not my path. Like, to me... See, and I, I, I don't think that Shinshu and Soto are actually that different in a way. In some ways, they're diametrically opposed, it looks like. But in other ways, they're yeah, both, yeah. how do you live in accord with Buddha reality? Mm-hmm. Right? How, how do we have Buddha reality in our life? Um, Soto seems to be going against a kind of gradual approach of practice, become a better person, polish the, the mirror so that there's no dust. You know, no, there is no mirror. There is no dust, fundamentally, right? It's, it, boom, we're there already. Boom, here it is, sit, right? It's, to me, not that different than um, tariki, right? Other power. My nembutsu isn't what's making it happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, Buddha's, the nembutsu is radiating all around me. It's already here, and it's just kind of waking up to that. Right? So to me, they're actually kind of not that different. But 
I don't need to do zazen. It's, I have shinshu. It's kind of how I feel personally. Um, I wouldn't tell someone else that. I think we each have to find our own path. Um, and so for me, I consider myself a dedicated, well, that, maybe that's the right term, committed Zen, uh, Shin Buddhist. How's that? Um, dedicated implies that I'm, I work hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go that far. But um, committed, right? Um, that this is the path that either I've chosen or that's chosen me. Um, and um, so for me personally, I don't feel the need to do these other practices. Um, Early on, I did maybe. I remember chanting Om Mani Padme Hum and um, Om Ma Hum Vajra Guru Padma Siddhi Hum or whatever. Like I've chanted, I had different mantras that people had told me or whatever um, that I chanted early on before I'd really formally felt like I was Shin Buddhist. Um, but since then, I don't, I don't deny that those may have validity, um, and I wouldn't deny them to someone else. But for me, I don't, I don't need them, really. Um, it's like when I went to Japan, maybe it's a little different, but um, when I went to Japan for a summer, and uh, back when I was still a student, and I, I, I love temples, right? and, and realizing later in life, because I've lived in Japan for six years in high school and had no interest at all, and then to realize, wow, there's all this cool Buddhist stuff there, and I'm here for a summer, I can go see as much as possible. So I was going to temples all the time for like three or four days, or maybe a couple of weeks, right? And then I finally realized my temple is Honganji. Like that's where I feel like I'm doing it, right? As opposed to visiting these other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very fortunate maybe to, to find this commitment and this kind of spiritual home, right? With Shinshu and with Honganji. Um, so that it, it, you know, and I still would go to temples later, and I love Buddhist art, and so that's part of going to temples, right, is seeing certain art works that you've seen maybe in a book, and then to see it in person, it's like, whoa, cool, right? Um, and yet, that wasn't part of my practice, right? My practice was, was uh, at Honzan, or in my life, my daily life, hmm. yeah. That was profound, man. It's going to make it really hard to argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, so that's another take on this question, and I can't tell the the, the questioner what to do. Um, I guess the other issue that we haven't really talked about is the doctrinal perspective on this stuff, right? And looking at Shinran, what would Shinran answer? I mean, we don't know, but we could maybe kind of ask and, um, you know, say, you know, would Shinran say, "Oh yeah, yeah, go ahead, chant Hanya Shingyo, chant Kanongyo." Um, you know? <laughs> I have a hard time believing that Shinran would have a good answer. <laughs> I mean, in no, no disrespect. I just, I just always, you know, the stories that that uh, that always come to my mind are the ones where he says, you know, I'm going to chant. Uh, what's uh, three sutras? The, the three sutras, you know, a bazillion times or whatever, and then he's like, oh, I gave up. I can't do that after all, right? So. Those kinds of stories always come to my, my mind. Mm-hmm. So if you say, you know, to Shinran, "Hey, Shinran, can I chant the Heart Sutra?" You'd be like, "I don't know." <laughs> but then again, the Heart Sutra is really short, so you know. I'm gonna kill not that. So I don't know. I mean, you know, but that's that's Shinran, right? And I, mm-hmm. I think that that's even Shinran is different from um, doctrinal justification, mm. right? I mean, Shinran is himself 
creating doctrine by interpreting his tradition, but I think that Honganji's doctrinal position is an interpretation of Shinran's interpretation, mm-hmm. right? You know, like, you know, Nishi, Nishi right, the, exactly. Nishi Honganji's orthodox right. position is an understanding of Shinran based on For their understanding of Renyo's understanding of Shinran, right? So it's not, you know, I don't know. There's stuff there that's mm-hmm. kind of in the way of Shinran. And even the, to me, even the question of whether or not um, that sort of, que- like, is their interpretation correct or should we go back to Shinran himself and reinterpret Shinran right, 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 right. is another question and, and yeah. is that valid? I mean, maybe Renyo got it right. I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hypothetically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there's lots of going, there's stuff going on there, but mm-hmm. I think that you could certainly answer this question from a, a Nishi Honganji orthodox point of view. Mm-hmm. That seems pretty straightforward to me. Mm-hmm. You don't chant that stuff because we don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't play that. <laughs> right? I mean, is it, is it more complicated than that? I mean, <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's why I think of Tiny Show <clears throat> when he says, um, you know, you've come from so far away to ask me these questions. And, you know, maybe you should go to Nara and ask the, the, um, the, the, um, the monks there. Right, the the the, the um, talented and intelligent monks there. Right, the, I can't think of the word I'm trying to think yeah. of, but you know, um, I don't have answers to those kinds of questions. I just learned just say the nembutsu, and you know, so so he, I, I think he kind of leaves room open for other possibilities. Yeah, but yeah. just maybe those are other faith commitments, not part of this faith commitment. Mm-hmm. So maybe that term commitment is is part of what comes along uh, comes out it's for me in this you know that um, yeah you can do whatever you want but maybe at some point you'll realize you know this is the path for me whether you choose Shinshu or Sotoshu or something else right um, and you know in a way it seems like a lot of times quote-unquote American quote-unquote convert Buddhism with the kind of um, supermarket approach the um, not just Buddhism actually religion right that there's a lot of people who are shopping mm-hmm Right? And um, that's okay, right? But um, at some point, my feeling, well, for me, I stopped shopping, <laughs> right? And I kind of settled on a brand. <laughs> right? It would be a horrible capitalist way to put no, it. No, I love that. Right? Consumer way. <laughs> that's um, my next book. <laughs> okay, <yeah. laughs> and, uh, you know, some people never make that choice, mm-hmm. right? And, and choose, no, I'm going to do these different ones. Right? And there's new kinds of Buddhism coming out that are like, no, we'll do Shin and Zen. It's already happened, right? Um, Zen Shin Buddhism. There's a book, right, on, by Socho Ogui, by one of our, the bishop of BCA, right? So even within BCA, these the issues have been um, sure. right out in the open. Yeah, it's right? not necessarily new, I mean. Right, 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 right. Isn't there a whole school in Japan that's based on that idea? <laughs> Obaku? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but Obaku's not coming out of Shin. No, no, I know, I know. I'm right? just, right. Um, right, and so, but there is the background too of like that they're not exclusive. Yeah. So that's interesting too. But if the school has exclusivity as part of the basis of the doctrine, can you do this? That might be another way of questioning it. So, in a broader Buddhist sense, do what you want. You can do any practice you want, really, right? Um, just as Buddhists have done for centuries, mm-hmm. and you know, with an emphasis on Nianfo or Nembutsu, and uh, but you can do meditation too, and do even do esoteric practice and whatever. Um, but within a school that its doctrine is based on exclusivity, is based on selection and rejection, right? Then 
that's a, maybe we can't answer this question that the, the questioner has to answer it for themselves. And they have to delve into the teachings, right? And go beyond just like, oh, I like Nembutsu and I like um, Zazen, so I'm going to do both, right, is one approach. But another approach is what's really going on here? What is Shinshu really about? Maybe it's not even about Nembutsu. It's about something even deeper. It's not about the practice. Um, it's about a different approach and, and um, everything coming to me rather than me doing things. So they may come to a point when they feel like, no, I don't, no more soto for me. That's not the right way. Or maybe they'll have a realization where they're like, no, it all fits together. You know, so I don't know. So I think um, ultimately it has to go back to the, I'm going to, what you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. You have to do that. <laughs> you have to um, do the work yourself. Get to work. <laughs> In a good way. I think that I think that's just probably just turned off people asking us any more questions. Right. I was getting sick of those so. questions. Anyway. <laughs> it's been fun. It's been real. <laughs> and so this is our final episode of the Dharma Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that in the kindest possible way. <laughs> but isn't that a better answer than telling them yes or no? Yeah, dude, you've been... Totally profound this entire episode. I'm uh, you win. You forgive you, me for t- for cutting you no, off. No, I didn't forgive you. For, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying you won the you you, you won, won the, again. You yes. won. You won the internet. Right. <laughs>